right. Well, we are in a, a, a series. We're actually finishing up a series today. Um, it's called Welcome to the Family. So if you've been, over, been here over the last uh, four or five weeks, we've been going through what we it, it, at Victory Life is actually a, uh, um, a uh, membership class. I was going to say a newcomer's class, but uh, a membership class uh, that we would go through where we're going through the core, four core values that we live by here at Victory Life. Um, but welcome to the family. We started off kind of talking through what is church and why do we do church, talking about how we can join ourselves to one another and to this body to be able to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we started to go through each of the core values. The four core values are honoring, faithful, excellence, and teachable. Uh, and today we're going to go through teachable, but just a really, really quick recap Honoring is when we are, we are looking at one another in ways to serve one another. I love what Romans 12.10 says. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Now, when we honor, we allow an atmosphere, we create an atmosphere that allows God to move. Um, also, we, we talk through faithful. Faithful is when we are able to be entrusted with another person's vision, with another uh, man's vision. Maybe it's at work. Uh, maybe it's here at, at church where you're faithfully serving the, the vision of the house to attract uh, people to the gospel and inspire them to grow. But so we're, we're, we're able to be faithful with the things that God gives us. We don't need to be micromanaged, but we are, we're looking to bring increase to the house. We're looking to bring increase to the job in uh, Matthew, and we went over the, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 through 21. Last week, we talked about excellence. And if you remember, we talked about being a second mile believer, somebody that doesn't just go one mile, but goes two, that goes that second mile that separates you, that, that differentiates you from the rest of the world. You, you go above and beyond. Uh, we also talked about Rebecca, who watered the camels. If you remember that story, uh, the servants looking for a bride for, for Isaac. He, he sees Rebecca. Rebecca gives him water, but then she also waters the camels, which was a, um, a very toilsome job. But she went that extra mile to serve. Today, we're going to talk about teachable. And as I was kind of preparing Thinking about each of these, I am praying that the Holy Spirit really shows you, okay, how can these four principles really be applied to your life? How is it that these four core values, how can they affect your home? How can they affect your workplace? How do we, we govern here? How do we use these values here to make sure that we're, we have a house that is bringing glory to God? by honoring one another, by being faithful, serving with excellence, and teachable. Matthew, 6, uh, Matthew 23, verse 12 says, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. When I think of, of teachable, there's no better way to start a message, especially when it comes to being teachable, then talk about humility. 
Teachable is something that allows us to be face-to-face with somebody, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. But when we realize we don't know it all, when we realize that we maybe have a thing to learn, a thing or two maybe, to learn, there's a humility that recognizes where we're at and that maybe God is trying to get us some growth. Maybe God is trying to bring us along and through being teachable, that's going to be a primary way. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, this is in the NIV. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, have you ever gone... <laughs> Have you ever gone through the Word and come across a scripture that you're like, mm, can I skip that one? <laughs> okay, let's go back. And you can talk to me, okay? So I, I think the 11 o'clock semi awake a little bit more. You guys can talk to me. It's all good. Like, amen, if you, if you agree. And if you're silent, I'm going to think you don't, you don't agree, okay? So, um, which is fine too, but... Uh, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I'll take the teaching, and I'll take the training in righteousness. I want to be taught. I want to be taught how to be a better dad, a better husband. I want to be a better worker, a better pastor. Like, that. that's, that's good. Teach me. Training in righteousness, I hope each and every day, I don't want to say I'm getting more righteous. You know, that doesn't sound good. But I hope I'm growing in holiness to the Lord. I hope he's getting a little bit more of my heart than he had yesterday. Okay? Uh, but let's, so correcting and rebuking, can we leave, the, can we leave those out? <laughs> those are a little, those are harder. Okay? Uh, but there's times in our lives where we need a course correction. You know, we're, we're, we're heading in, in, a, in, a, in a direction that's just not healthy. And so maybe somebody comes up to you and they, they bring a gentle word of correction. Maybe you're reading the word and, you're like, and the Holy Spirit starts to, starts to prick something in your heart that the way you're living, or maybe it's an action or something you're doing, it just, just is off. God's like, I'd like to correct that. So we can, we can listen and he can course correct. He can just steer us gently back into the right direction. Sometimes you need a firm rebuking. And these, these aren't fun, but they're necessary. It's when you, maybe you cross the line. Maybe you're, you've, you've ignored correction for long enough and somebody, God uses somebody or God uses the word. Maybe the Holy Spirit really, really speaks to your heart that and he, it's, it's a rebuking. Listen, if you don't change your ways, the course you're on is actually not the best for your life. So it goes beyond a correction. It's a rebuking. You need to change it, and you can feel that. If you've ever been rebuked by the Lord, it is an amazing experience. <laughs> because even though there's a very firm word to you, there is equally as much love attached to it. It's almost unexplainable. 
So you know that your heart is being convicted, but there's that love there that allows you, that, that reminds you, hey, listen, I'm here to help you change. I'm not rebuking you for rebuke's sake and then leaving you to figure it out. I'm rebuking you so that way we can work together to course correct. Amen? That's what God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does is he works with us. He doesn't abandon us. He works with us to make the change that he's calling us to. I'm moving. I'm flying. This is good. Um, I'll never forget, <laughs> speaking of rebuking, uh, maybe let's call this correction. Um, so Jillian and I, we started dating uh, in the year 2000, and we dated for a long time. And it was one of those that the moment we started dating, it was pretty clear what God's plan was, okay? We were going to get married. Well, I started, as I was reading, I started to come across scriptures that Paul would say, this is, this is me, I'm not putting this on anybody, okay? It, Paul would say, hey, it's better for man to be alone because you can go out and do the things that God wants you to do. And I immediately started being like, oh, no. Am I supposed to be single the rest of my life? You know, I, I, it was a, I'm going to say it was a genuine question. It was something that the Lord, like I was just wrestling with. So what did I do? I went to Jillian and I remember where we were. We were upstairs, we were talking. And I said, I think we need to break up. Out of, literally out of the blue. And it was horrible. <laughs> like horrible. And, uh, and so that was that. Well, it wasn't too many days later. My father-in-law, I call him Pastor Jim. He was our, our pastor for 19 years. And uh, so Pastor Jim says, hey, Luke, how about I get you a Mountain Dew and we go for a car ride? <laughs> yeah? You want to go for a car ride with your father-in-law or your to-be maybe father-in-law? So we go for a car ride, and I know we go to this uh, empty parking lot, park thing, and I'm like, I'm going to die. And, uh, <laughs> and so, but we just, I, I, I'll never forget, he, gives, he lets me crack open the Mountain Dew, which was amazing, and I sit there, and he turns this way in the car, and I turn this way, and he goes, Luke, what's going on? He goes, this is out of character. And that it was the most loving moment of my entire life. One of them. He just loved, he loved on me enough to have a very difficult conversation. He wasn't like, why did you break up with my daughter? He said, what's going on? I need to get inside your heart. He was look, trying to get inside my heart to find out what was going on. It was an amazing experience, one that 20 years ago, I remember as if it was yesterday, and I'm very thankful he did that because it didn't create a wedge between him and I and the family. It drew me in 21 years later. You're still looking fine, my love. All right. So it was just amazing. I, I wrote this. <laughs> I wrote this down. It said, it takes a lot of guts for someone to come up and have a hard conversation. For somebody to come up to you and, and give you a correction or a rebuke, it takes a lot of guts. There is fear that they are overcoming to be able to have a conversation with you. The number one thing I ever heard when it came to correction was it has to be done in love. If it's not done in love, you can 
politely decline the conversation. That's fine. When you want to have the conversation in love, we can talk. That was a major prerequisite of somebody reach, somebody needing to bring correction. So there needs to be, it needs to be done in love. Even if it's harsh, it's still, you, you've got to be able to recognize the love in it. My prayer is that when my heavenly father brings this correction or rebuking into my life, that I am humble enough to receive and remain teachable. So I wrote down there's a difference between a teachable spirit or a teachable heart and a learned spirit, okay, or a learned heart. So a learned spirit is based on knowledge. The learned spirit is the one that says, I listen to four pastors on a Sunday via YouTube. Um, I've got, gone through 10 podcasts this week and I've read four books. You're increasing knowledge. A learned spirit just continues to increase knowledge versus a teachable spirit that is based off of relationship. A teachable spirit has a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody. It's where you're sitting like this and you're receiving instruction, training, sometimes even correction. When I started Edward Jones, I started in, in uh, the year 2011 as an Edward Jones financial advisor. And my mentor was, uh, his name was Dave. And Dave always told me from the very, very beginning, he goes, don't try to invent the wheel. So Edward Jones had a very specific process of how newbies like myself would go out and get clients and it'd be knocking on doors. And they wanted you to make 25 quality contacts every single day. So I'd knock on doors. Hey, you want to talk about your finances? You know, <laughs> it was awkward. Um, but this is the way that they had their Jones advisors do uh, to build the business or to create a foundation. And, but what would the tendency would be to try to come up with some other way that didn't involve knocking on a door. <laughs> some way that wasn't cold calling. I'll figure out some new way to get through it. And Dave said, just trust the process. Trust the process. Don't try to invent the wheel. But I can see that I wasn't very teachable because I spent more time trying to reinvent the wheel that it created a longer time for my business to grow. I can give you a thousand different excuses, but the fact of the matter is I wasn't teachable. It took me lo a long time to get teachable and realize that my way wasn't working and it wasn't producing the results that I knew it could. So you got to remain teachable, but you got to have somebody in your life that can speak into you. Uh, I love Acts. Let's go to Acts 13, uh, 2 through 3. So I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3, but it says, Now in the church was at Antioch, there was a certain prophet, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who has been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Verse 2 says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they lay hands on them, and they sent them 
away. A teachable heart is through relationship. As we're going through here, Paul and Barnabas were in relationship with each other as well as the apostles and teachers. Face to face, they were dealing with one another. They were able to talk. They were able to call out each other. They were able to work together. But they were also submitted to the Holy Spirit. So they didn't just have people in their lives. They had people in their lives that were submitted to the Holy Spirit also. So they were under authority also. But because of this relationship that they had, when the Holy Spirit says, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, it wasn't like, well, who are you to talk to me? Who are you to tell me what I need to do? They were all in agreement. They were all in a relationship. So when the Holy Spirit said something, they could step into it. There are people, um, whoop, wrong page. <laughs> they were listening for what God was saying and open to what was being asked. I want to give you three things regarding being teachable. So if you've got your notes, these are good things to write down. I'll, I'll even say one so you can write it down. I wrote one. The first thing that Jesus measured in people's lives were teachability. In Matthew 19, if you'll remember the story of the rich man that came to Jesus saying, hey, what do I need to do to be saved, to enter into the kingdom? Well, you need to follow all the commandments. Well, these I've done. Then you need to go sell everything you have, and then you'll be perfect. He was testing his heart to see what, could, what was he not just willing to give up, but how was he willing to listen to the instruction that Jesus had? In Matthew 8, he's calling people to himself. Jesus is calling people to himself. And one of them said, hey, let me go bury my dad first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You come follow me. He's gauging the heart. I think of, when I think of this, when I think of basketball... I loved playing basketball when I was a kid. I'd pretend I was making the last second shot all the time in my driveway. Turnaround jumpers, it was amazing. I was awesome. So should have been in the NBA, but I didn't quite make it. They don't recognize talent, but... Um, <laughs> or height. They do recognize height, don't they? Thanks, Pastor Mike. Appreciate that one. That was awesome. <laughs> That's funny. So pick up basketball. It's me. I'm just going to come join in with the, with the group that's playing ball. I'm responsible for myself. Versus if you're on a team, sometimes you got to make tryouts first. But then when you're on the team, you give yourself to the leadership of the coach. We kind of talked about this a little bit at the very, the, the first time on this series. We talked about joining the team, not just spectating. But if I'm on the team, if I'm, I'm, I'm able to be corrected. Listen, Luke, when you're shooting a jumper, your elbow's out too far. So I got to switch to my right hand because my elbow stays in. My elbow doesn't go in. So if I'm shooting a jumper and my elbow's out, it throws my shot off. But am I teachable? Am I listening? 
to be able to, well, this is just the way I shoot. Well, that doesn't matter. I need you to shoot a different way. I need you to play tighter D. I need you to work out a little bit harder. Stay after. Do some, do some sprints. Whatever the case might be, am I open to that instruction? Uh, second thing, a teachable spirit assumes responsibility. In Genesis 4.9, it says, am I my brother's keeper? God's asking Cain, who had just killed Abel, where's your brother Abel? Because his blood's crying out. Well, am I my brother's keeper? He's deflecting responsibility. Adam in the Garden of Eden. It says in, in Genesis 3.12, it's that woman you gave me. Instantly deflects responsibility. Super easy to do. Very, very natural. But what if you said, what was my role in the whole thing? Instead of pointing blame, you shoulda, you shoulda, they shoulda. What should I have done? A teachable heart does not look to place blame on someone else, but recognizes what part you've played. Third thing, a teachable spirit is hearing and doing things that you don't want to do. Who in your life can tell you no? Who do you allow in your life that can speak into you the things that you don't want to hear? In Luke chapter 5, verses 4 and 6, this is Jesus calling the disciples. It says, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5 says, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net. Nevertheless, at your word. You may know it all. Nevertheless, at your word. These were professional fishermen. These guys knew how to fish. They didn't fish with hooks. You know, nice shiny things that you have to wrap a worm around so that it's, it's hidden. They fished with nets, and so they fished at night so that the fish couldn't see the nets. So to get to the daytime, and Jesus say, hey, it's daytime, now go ahead and cast your nets. We've done this all night long. We've caught nothing. It makes no sense to throw these nets during the day. Nevertheless, at your word, because I trust, I trust you enough that what you're saying to me is better than what I'm thinking. They were open to that relationship. When, the, when these men became teachable, when they allowed Jesus to speak into their lives, what happened? Their nets were full. When our hearts are teachable, our nets are full. Even when you think you know better, nevertheless, at your word. Listen, God wants you to have a full net. I want your marriage to have a full net. I want your family to have a full net. 
I want your work to have a full net. Your finances, your quiet time. I want your quiet time to be a full net, full of God's promises, full of the richness of God. So let's bring this, let's bring this home. So I was going through this. I was talking to Jillian a little bit through this. I kind of had this realization that when I honor somebody, that's me honoring somebody. When I'm faithful, it's me being faithful with something that somebody else is. But I'm in control there, right? When it's excellence, I do the excellence. But when it becomes teachable, I am teachable, but I need somebody else. I have to have relationship. I have to have somebody else in my life that can speak into me. That's what makes humility so amazing and such an essential part about being teachable. Humility is the key, and it comes from a heart that is surrendered to God first. Humility is critical. But how do we get humble? I think today I'm just going to be humble. I'm the most humblest. (laughs) Humility starts with a heart that is right with God. Humility starts with a heart that is completely devoted to God. When we have his word, when we have his perspective, when we have him in our lives, we humbly, we know who we are. (laughs) We know what we came from, but by the grace of God. Would you all close your, your eyes and bow your heads with me? This is a life-changing portion of the service. Like destiny transforming. It's a heart that has been made right with God that is humble. And a heart that is right with God, it's the one question each person has to have answered. Is my heart right with God? You may say, I think so, I hope so. I try hard to be a good person. Listen, trying harder does not make you right with God. There has to be a defining moment in everyone's life where they stop trying to be better, but they trust their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. Romans says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you are here this morning, and you want to call out to God, you want to make sure that your heart is right with God, that you've never called out to him and said, Jesus, come into my life right now. I need your help. Then on the count of three, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand and we are going to call on God today. We're going to pray. And if you want to be included in that prayer, then right now, will you raise your hand? One, 
two, three. Raise your hand. If you need to call on God today to make sure that your heart is right with God, lift up your hand. I see that hand. Awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see that hand. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you shall be saved. It's a beautiful promise, and that's what we're going to do right now. If you raised your hand or if you meant to, please repeat this prayer after me. In church, let's pray along for encouragement. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I believe Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again, and that he's seated on the throne. Jesus, forgive me for all that I've done wrong, and I choose to forgive all others. Come into my heart today and forever. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. 